Welcome to episode 104 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast. We are part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and I'm joined today, as always, by J.P. Breen and Ryan Top. And I don't know, guys, how, how have you felt this week watching watching long slugfests and then having lots of time off with a couple of days off for the Brewers? It's been a roller coaster of emotions, Steve. It's been it's been lots of ups and lots of downs, and the the downs have been pretty pretty bad so it's 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 felt long even if regardless of like if there's a game or if there's not a game it's felt long would that be because dan plesak has been announcing the games no it's because like when they've played it's like 15 innings of like 30 run games and which goes forever and then the off days feel like you know there's a lot of time in between and you kind of confused when there's multiple off days in a week and then when they do play they play like a five-hour slugfest yeah, I look at the clock thinking like, oh, they should be wrapping this thing up soon. And then I realize it's the start of the seventh. Yeah, they, they, have have at least an, they have at least another hour. And that's assuming that, you know, they don't hit too many home runs and go into extra innings again. But that's the way this week has gone. And it has been. And that's the way that August has gone. That, yeah. Like absolute slugfest all throughout baseball in August. We are recording in the middle of Sunday's uh, unpleasantness, so at least it's unpleasant at this point. They're so. just getting slugged. There's no fest here. Yeah, it's it's 15 to 4, though. It looks like uh, they got some runners on here for heroes, so maybe something good will come of this. Yeah, Jason Collette uh, of kind of fan graphs and all around for quite a long time, if you've followed baseball writing, was showing kind of across the league how every single month and it makes sense because it's been warmer, but every single month, the uh, amount of home runs per plate appearance or plate appearance, one of those, I don't, math's hard, uh, has been been going down. So like more and more homers are happening uh, across the league. And in August, it's taken another jump. And it's basically like there's a home run every 20, 21 or 22 plate appearances or something like that, which well, has just been... If you think about and it, this, that's like a home run every, what, three or four innings? Yeah, in this series against the Nationals, I mean, it really feels like there have been some that they are not impressive home runs. I'm like, well, that's off the wrist or that's, you know, just a flare opposite field and stuff's clear in the fence. Yeah, I mean, it has been blowing out in Nationals Park, especially on Sunday. There, I, was I think the, the issue is a lot more over. than the wind, but I know, were, I know you're trying to bring this back around to a, a weather uh, forecast <laughs> for the beginning. If you really want to do it, or should we just keep moving on? We, you want we to get can, into weather? We, we can continue on. I'm not Mike Trout. I, I was going to say, we can get into weather, but we're also like going to complain about like a schedule later because we did that for like 20 minutes before we started. So, yeah. So, okay. Uh, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We won't list your questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter. JP is Ghost Runner on second base. Ryan is RD Top. And I'm Steve Garshinsky. So uh, if you can figure out that last name, you should be able to find it. Uh, I say confused on trying to like remember what your twitter handle was for a second it is my name i, I was, was not creative when I, twitter started I was say you you've not felt the need to do any subterfuge whatsoever you just no. throw it right out there come at me bro <laughs> Uh, and finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. And don't forget, we now have reporting as eligible. Our Green Bay Packers podcast uh, featuring Paul, New Paul Noonan, 
Paul. No. <laughs> I'll just That's stumble right. over. I'll stumble over the easiest name I think on here. Paul Noonan, uh, Matt Matovich, and J.R. Radcliffe are on that. That's coming out weekly, and it is on Wednesdays. They will also do a Patreon extra that is coming up, and I think Paul is going to put together a fantasy football league. So it'll probably be similar similar uh, entry rules to what we had for the baseball league. So also uh, tune in for that. Uh, Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. If you are looking for a place to host your fantasy football draft, the K4 Tap Room on Kinsman Boulevard is offering buy two, get one free pitchers, and a pitcher race for all draft parties. Call 608 241 4812. Email Sammy at carbon4.com that's s-a-m-m-i or stop by to reserve your space today and as we we've can said vouch in the past, for that we vouch for it we've we've done our draft party there in the past uh definitely a good time they got good wi-fi so that's uh key number one for most people and then you know what they got a lot of beer on tap so that's good the beers yeah very very good beers and you can get the limited release stuff mm-hmm. at the tap room which and, is always nice. And then you can buy a growler on the way out as well, and you can take it with you. So it really works out well. Uh, as always, get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. Check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer, brilliance. Okay, as we said, with the way the schedule went this week, there were a lot of off days. Uh, but the, the days they were playing, it was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, they had the two-game series against the Twins, which they split. And it felt like both teams won the wrong game. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I can go with that. Like a split seemed right, but the the, the way it kind of went, uh, the Brewers blew the first game. Josh Hader gave up one of his patented home runs. Yeah. And he came in just for that batter to try to get out of that. He came in with two on and gave up the dinger and yeah, it, it's been a, an ongoing issue for him this year. We'll talk about that more later. Well, and as, as JP was talking about, when when home runs go up and you have a guy who basically his his main weakness is giving up home runs, um, this week has not been kind to Josh Hader. No, and that's kind of what you would expect in a lot of ways. So, I say it turns out I, the biggest thing that I think you know we kind of forget about in general is is the fleeting nature of reliever dominance just because of, of short time. Like last year, the best reliever in baseball bar none was, was Edwin Diaz. And he was with the Mariners. He is now, he's now with the Mets made a big trade, right? Jared Kellenick went and he now is out of the closer role because he struggled this year, but it's about looking at uh, core abilities. It's about trying to figure out like, can you still miss bats? What's still effective? And not necessarily being distracted by the fact that if you have a guy who gives up some home runs, eventually that is going to compound in a very short amount of time, uh, especially when the ball is getting how it is. Um, but I mean, for me, like jo- Josh Hader can't really control where his fastball goes all that well. And yeah, he can throw strikes pretty well, uh, but he can't always throw it where he wants to. And we've gotten used to the fact that even when he throws it where he doesn't want to, like he's been able to miss bats a bunch. Uh, but once in a while, he doesn't. 
and this year it just seems that uh you know with the situation where everybody knows he's he's coming with a fastball marwin gonzalez was talking about earlier this week that you know what he was gearing up for a fastball and he was hoping it lo- it was low and he said i got lucky that it was where i was looking and what i was what i was expecting and he's like i just put a huge swing on it because he was like if i missed the first one i wasn't sure i was going to get another one yeah, um, we have a question from Nate uh, Cosington about Hater. Uh, he asks, uh, "Is Hater's slider usage down? If so, why is a poor control? His swing strike uh, percentage uh, is decreasing." So I pulled up the numbers on Brooks Baseball for this. He in the month of of August, he's actually thrown more sliders than he has in any other month this year. Uh, his fa- uh, four seam percentage is down under eighty percent right now, and uh, slider percent is. Because he, he's thrown like an occasional changeup. I think he threw a changeup on, on Saturday night's game. But uh, it's mostly when he doesn't throw the fastball, it's mostly slider. And he's at 19.83%, which is his highest slider percent of the season. And pretty in line with what he was most of last year. 17, 14, 20, 21, 16, 17. So that's not really the difference. He's, he's throwing a slider kind of as much as was expected. One thing somebody did point out on Twitter, and I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly who this was, pointed out that he has not been throwing a first pitch slider as much. And we saw that last night on Saturday night's game where it's sort of a two-edged sword. When he throws his slider first pitch, because he did it a few times, when it's in the zone, it's fantastic because he then sets up the hitter to really have issues. Um, he absolutely dominated the hitter. He got that pitch over for him. It was a left-handed hitter. Can't remember exactly who it was, but he absolutely set him up and dominated him. Three straight pitches, put him away. When you throw the slider on the first pitch and it doesn't hit the zone, now you've basically told the hitter, okay, you really don't have to worry about this at all. You are purely loading up on fastball at that point. So I think it's, if you can get it in the zone over early, it, it is an effective pitch, and I think it does help, but... If you don't, then it can kind of limit things from there on, too. So, JP, what's your view of people's attitude towards Hater and his slider? Because, again, a lot of the talk up to this point has been it's declining usage. Like, somehow that's going to be the the silver bullet for basically putting down this home run issue is being able to throw that slider. Is that going to do it, or is it just a matter of Hater's location comes and goes, and that's when we see him struggle? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's more the latter. I think the biggest thing... The biggest reason people have focused on his slider is because it's it's the most easily changeable thing that you can look at, right? Like, you can't really look at somebody and say, you need to throw better strikes. Like, that's not really a helpful comment. That's basically like when you struggled as a kid and, you're, and you, you know, your dad comes up to you and say, you need to do better. And you're like, right, yeah, I should try that. I need to do better. Uh, and... There's an old so people who used to watch Disney movies. There's a good reference to that in, uh, in the movie called Brink. But I'm not going to bring that up. You all are probably a little bit. I don't know if you guys remember that movie, but uh, you know. I think we're a little older. So, well, shout out to people who do remember that. Uh, but anyway, I think the you millennials. Thing, the biggest thing that ends up happening is the fact that everyone says he needs to throw his slider more. He his zone percentage for his slider this year is under forty percent. Like you can throw your slider as much as you want. If you can't throw it for strikes then it doesn't really help you all that much. It doesn't matter if it's first pitch. doesn't matter if it's, you know, when it's a one and two. Basically what happens is the reason he's not throwing a slider all that much is because every single hitter who is, who is stepping into that box knows if they see a spinner, don't swing. Yeah, and it, you have a little bit better chance with two strikes throwing a, a slider out of the zone and getting somebody to swing and miss than you do 
earlier in the count when a guy can just sit back. Do you know that? Nope. Or are you just guessing? I mean, that's like baseball 101, right? I mean, it's you, you would think so, right? But like at the same time, a hater's problem hasn't been like giving up home runs when he's got two strikes and is trying to like get another fastball by. Um, the biggest issue for him is the fact that he's all over the place. I mean, I think that it's it's interesting because we forget when he was coming up in 2017, this was a dude that like rocked back and forth to create a rhythm on the on the mound because he was like uncomfortable throwing strikes. And so it was weird because like he just even when waiting for a batter to get into the box, he would like shift his weight left to right and like pick up his feet and would kind of do it and kind of create a rhythm to the point that he would then throw it. And 2018, 2019, he got he was able to kind of like move past that and get out of it. It was a little like a, a training wheels thing or a little bit like a Ryan Evans jump shot free throw. Like it was just something like <laughs> it was you needed to do because, you know, the skill was there, but like needed to do something a little bit to kind of get over. Oh, I think it's a little different than the Ryan Evans free throw when you say the skill <laughs> was there. Um, but I think you get into this situation that I think. Uh, he's so good for so long. His swinging strike rate's over 20%. It's like over 22% on his fastball this year, which is uh, beyond elite. Well, and that's what was interesting about Saturday night's game was he had a walk and then he gave up some singles, and that's how he basically gave up the, the tying run. And it was a very weird sequence because that's not normal Josh Hader struggling. Like that. No. That was not what I was, I was uh, expecting. I was expecting a, a bomb. See, yeah, you'll see a walk, but generally if somebody makes contact, it's going to be really hard contact, and that was not the case. But then he hits Trey Turner. Was it Turner, Eaton, and Rendon? Yeah, and I Eaton mean, was the one I was talking about where he struck him out. He, he threw that first pitch slider and then two high fastballs, and boom, there was nothing. It was Eaton the was toughest do. part of the lineup. Right. And he got three strikeouts. And he, well, he did take the first batter in that sequence. He took him to a full count. He took Turner to a 3-2. Oh, and that's so, fine. I mean, point is, he needed to get strikeouts in that situation or they were going to lose that game. Another ball in play and they were going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And the other part, too, to, to kind of think about, too, is um, if we think about what how opposing hitters are attacking Josh Hader, the biggest thing that I think we could think about is a guy who struggles with his command. You try to make him throw strikes, right? Like sit, make him throw strikes. That's absolutely not what opposing pit hitters are doing this year. What they're doing is they're actually swinging more than they've ever swung at him before. Um, and his fastball, like his swing, his swing percentage on his fastball has been at or below 50% uh, his first two years. This year, it's up near 60%. It's basically hitters going up and doing exactly what Marwan Gonzalez said earlier this year is they were like, I got a fastball and I swung because I wasn't sure I was getting another one like that. I felt like I could hit. It was like a C fastball swing, because if I make contact, I know that I can get this over the fence. Yeah, it really does feel like if something's going to go wrong, he gets ambushed early. Yeah. And it's it's, I think, a pretty clear a pretty clear strategy that it's basically you go up and you go hacking because there's no point in sitting and waiting. Because you have to give yourself three hacks at a fastball um, because sitting and waiting and giving yourself one hack at a fastball because you allowed him to throw two, two strikes isn't really helpful. It's one of the reasons why his, swing, his swinging strike rate is up so much because guys are swinging more. And so they're swinging more at a really good pitch. But I do think the the other thing that kind of gets into this is now I think Hater, it's kind of in his head. Right. And, and so he's maybe trying to throw better pitches or, or kind of what have you. But um I think we also need to recognize that like even elite guys go through extended struggles 
Aroldis Chapman, who's one of the best, like Kenley Jansen, who's one of the best relievers that we've had. People were talking about whether or not he was going to lose his job as a closer because he struggled for a month. I always remember every few years, Mariano Rivera would have like a bad three week stretch and people in New York would be like, he needs to be out of the, the closers role. And this is literally the the hammer of God, like the best closer who's ever pitched. One of the best, you know, relief pitchers we've ever seen. And they would freak out about it, too. Yeah, and I think for me, it's 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 recognizing that he has been one of the most effective and is one of the most talented relievers in all of Major League Baseball. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have flaws. He absolutely has flaws. We've known what they've been for over two years. uh, And sometimes those things are going to come up to bite you. He's not bulletproof. And like there has to there has to be room for people to struggle in in baseball like guys have to be able to be bad for for a while because guys can't be mike trout was not all that good for his sophomore year uh rookie year was it i thought it it was was it was the first like 150 plate appearances when he came up then when he came back the next year he was that was the year he should have won the mvp and lost it to miggy because of the triple crown and so Either way, like you've got the ability to come in and still try to make sure that you've got to. Yeah, you are correct. Um, and so you've got the ability to to kind of recognize that. Like you have to create room for recognizing a why people struggle B when they're doing well, why they still struggle, could struggle. It's kind of creating your mental map of what could go wrong and when they are doing badly, it's about thinking about uh, what are they doing well and what's the path out of this. And I'm pretty sure that Josh, for me, Josh Hader is a pretty clear path out of this um, and because he's got core skills that are uh, quite elite. When he's still been missing bats, he's still been getting the strikeouts. Like, Well, and here's the OK. We have a question from Chris Tamez. Uh, he was asking about Saturday night's game, which we kind of covered. Um but he also asks, is this rise, the the three hitters he was able to get out on, on Saturday night, um, is that a rise out of the slump in time for the playoff push? Like, is there something different about what he was able to turn on last night versus what had been happening in previous games? I mean, he seemed to, like, kind of catch an edge there, like where he started to really feel it. And it, you, I think during that Eaton at bat, you could really feel it. He got the strikeout. That was more of an exhale against uh, Turner, and then against Eaton, like yeah, because Turner turned on one, he almost put one out on him. He almost did. Yep, and like he filthy dominated Eaton, and that was kind of where then it was like, oh, that's the Josh Hader I remember, like a guy who can just make a, a really really good major league hitter look like a little leaguer, and then he had a a fine at bat after that to get was it Rendon? Yeah, yeah, so. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, he ended up, yeah, Rendon was was a a good end to that. But for me, I think it's still kind of just the same. It doesn't really change my feeling about it on Saturday. I hope I hope he gets on an extended good stretch. But the biggest thing for me is is like even when Hader gives up a home run, he still goes like, you know, an inning and two thirds strikes out four gives up a walk and a homer like he's still doing really well against other hitters. Um, and, and yeah, he, the biggest thing too, like this was something that Ryan was, was, I think trying to, to get across on Twitter when, you know, he was trying to say that he's been throwing in the zone more than ever. 
and then other people and you know right like there's the idea that like just because you throw pitches in the zone doesn't mean they're necessarily good and then uh jonathan judge was able to come in and say that he's actually had trouble hitting the corners much more than ever before and the other thing is like we've seen him give up a home run i think it was last week in which he was like yeah i was trying to throw it up i threw it down and and you're like yeah he does that a lot uh he does it a lot because that was the home run against the twins yeah yeah, and he get, and he misses his spot by like a couple of feet a lot, and a, a lot of the time he's good enough to get away with it, and sometimes he's not. Um, but it's it's somebody that that's why there's a difference between command and control. Um, command is the ability to throw good strikes. Uh, control is the ability to throw strikes, and he is your classic control over command guy. He doesn't have good command of the strike zone at all, but he can. He's gotten much better at throwing strikes with his fastball. Yeah, I mean. But this has kind of been a consistent issue. This isn't a new thing where he can uh, miss inside the zone. He's always been somewhat prone to that. Uh, maybe a little bit more right. this year. But like even Which, last year, his was the CSAA. It was well below average. This year, it's like one of the worst in the league. But Which last is, year, it was I way was below average. The, point that the biggest change for him has been the fact that guys are swinging like 10% more than ever before. Yeah, and that... That I think because they're seeing the rewards that you can, if you do catch a pitch on him, you can hit it out. And I think guys are starting to realize, well, if you're going to go up against Hater, basically the thing to do is just, if he throws you anything near the zone, swing hard and hope that you connect and knock it out. Because yeah. literally what the Marlins hitters talked about last year is because there was the the year in which, uh, like the, the series in Miami in which he gave up to homers to, I don't remember who they were. They were the Marlins. They were bad. Oh, um, Brian and, Anderson and, was one of them for sure. Who, who was it? Brian Anderson was one of them. Sure. Yeah. Not not our Brian Anderson. No. But Brian, Brian Anderson. Brian Anderson. Um, yeah. It was like Brian Anderson and like uh, like John Birdie or something like that. Like somebody just like who didn't really make any sense. And you're like, why? Why is he doing well against the best reliever in baseball? Uh, and they would talk to him and they were like, yeah, we just went up and knew just swing hard. And and you knew a fastball was coming and swing hard. And if you make contact, hopefully a good thing is going to happen because the worst thing that you can do and go go up and be passive against Josh Hader. Yeah, yeah. there's no reward for it. OK, so I want to move on to Wednesday's game against the Twins. This was the uh, YouTube broadcast. I think everybody was thrilled with that, which, OK, everybody is more thrilled with the YouTube broadcast than they were with last year's Facebook broadcast, oh. which I don't know if there was. A big difference between the broadcasts. Well, Scott Braun wasn't doing it this time. So. Well, but that's, yeah. Other than that, though, you know, they had the filler in between innings kind of the same way. The longer Scott Braun gotten jacked, man. He's been lifting. He's huge. <laughs> does he realize that once the game starts, they don't take shots in the booth anymore? I don't know, but he does. He certainly does, still does some video stuff for, for MLB, and he's, he's, he's big. Yeah, so, but anyways, it was a more fun game of the two against the Twins because uh, Trent Grisham had the big uh, game-winning home run that day. Yeah, and I missed it because we were on the phone talking about fantasy football. <laughs> I came back and I'm like, hey, the Brewers just took the lead. How'd that happen? <laughs> so uh, Grisham with the big shot puts the Brewers ahead. They were able to hold on for that win. Uh, I guess, Ryan... You you wrote this down, but are you all in on, on Trent Grisham now? I mean, I think I pretty much am. Your point about the power being real, I think we've seen the power is, is fairly real. Well, he was, hold on a second. I don't believe any power is real anywhere in baseball this year, but go on. His his home run against uh, 
against the Nats was one of the few ones that actually had some oomph to it. I mean, he hit that thing dead center and it was not particularly close. So like he has, and going back to JP's point from last week about this, we do have to see my biggest concern at this point is we have to see him come back next year and continue this. Like we have to see it repeat after a, you know, an off season layoff and you know, other than that, though, I think that the indications are all pretty good. He he has such good at bats, and that's kind of what we were always waiting for when he was in the minor leagues. Was you would hear these reports, the walk rates were always great, and you would hear, yeah, he can he can really work pitchers, but he just had this lack of when he got a real hittable pitch, squaring it up and doing something with it meaningful. And he said in an interview this year, he talked about it a little bit that like he kind of talked to himself in the off season and said, okay, you're going to, you know, attack some more pitches now. And that seems to have worked out pretty well for him at, as far as this year goes. So we just have to see if he can repeat it forward. But JP, is this, are you in, are you buying? Well, it depends on what I'm buying. Like what, what are you asking? If I'm, am I buying that he's a major league college like caliber hitter or am i what am i i mean he's you, currently batting he's batting uh 279 327 535 which is that's a good line but OPS it, plus of 116 yeah it's an 861 ops and you would think given his in outstanding walk rates in the minors that as hitters maybe start to our pitchers start to avoid him a little bit more in the majors that walk rate will climb I would expect well, to see a bigger difference between his maybe, batting average or, and on base in the future. Or major would, league pitchers feel like they can actually attack him in a way that minor league pitchers could, can't. I was going to say, I don't think that they're going to avoid him. Um, that that I, he's not. I don't. He's not the the caliber of hitter. I think that you would say guys are going to need to be careful on. Um, the biggest thing that I am questioning uh, when it comes to Trent Grisham is is how much time are the Brewers going to be able to give him against lefties, right? And something that we need to to kind of see going forward. And that's not a, that's not an answer we're really going to get this year, I don't think. But the biggest criticism against Trent Grisham over the course of his career hasn't been uh, whether or not he can take good at bats, right? Like everybody always knows he's got a pretty good knowledge of the zone. He's got the ability to kind of work, work walks. He's got the ability to do all those things. The biggest criticism against him was the fact that he was extremely passive. And Ryan was referencing the fact that he kind of had a talk with himself and he said, you know what? I got to attack, attack more. And like scouts have noticed, they've talked about the fact that he's been more aggressive at pitches that he can handle. Um, in the majors, he hasn't been. Uh, he has been pretty passive. Uh, his swing rate is one of the lowest in the league. Um, it's way below average. It be it would currently rank in the lowest thirty hitters uh, across all of baseball in terms of how much he swings. And even though he's not swinging, his walk rate's not great. Like it's not bad. It's you know it's a little bit below average. It's kind of fine. But he's striking out a lot, um, way more than he's been striking out over the course of his entire minor league career. And so it is really interesting to see whether or not he is. Um, like whether or not the passivity becomes an issue again, whether or not uh, he's recognizing that kind of working counts and allowing himself to see a couple of, uh, you know, early strikes that he doesn't feel like he can do much with um, kind of puts him in a spot where seeing a lot of pitches is great. Um, in today's baseball though, 
getting two strikes doesn't mean you're going to get a fastball. Uh, and, and it always doesn't mean you're going to get a fastball that you can hit. Uh, guys are much more willing these days because of the baseball issue. They're more than willing to walk you because they do not want you to put the bat on the ball. Uh, so you are still going to continue to see breaking stuff with two strikes. You are going to continuously see big overhand curveballs that they're going to try to make you swing at. And he's got to show that he can either a like be an absolute walk machine, which he hasn't been thus far. And we're talking about what 70 plate appearances. Like it's not, it's not a big 49. Actually, it's not even that many. Sure. Um, and we're looking at kind of, um, overall trends to say that that is one thing that I would be worried about if I had to pick one thing, because there are a lot of really good things that he's talking about. Scouts are talking about a lot of really good things. I think he's absolutely has the capability to be a starting outfielder in, in, in the big leagues. Um, whether or not he can be kind of a, an impact first division guy, I'm not ready to say that yet. Uh, and if I did have to pick something that I am going to be watching and something that I am going to be tracking, it's about his ability to attack pitches earlier in, in counts, uh, whether or not his walk rate's going to, to climb, whether or not he's going to be a little bit more aggressive. Because if the biggest knock on him for a long time is passivity, he has been a little bit passive thus far. Yeah. Um, one thing that's also interesting to note, the last two days in Washington, he has played center field over Lorenzo Cain. And this follows Craig Council on, it was either Thursday or Friday, I think Friday, saying Lorenzo Cain's going to need to get it going for us. We need him to be good down the stretch. And then the next two days, you see Trent Grisham penciled into the lineup. So, you so what are you the, implying? No, what I'm saying is I'm wondering. Are you saying Lorenzo Cain, Cain is in the doghouse? Not necessarily. Lorenzo I mean, Cain's he, on the outs, and they still have three years left on his contract he hasn't, this season? He yeah. hasn't had a good season. He hasn't. You know, this is not anything like. This is his worst offensive season since. Very early with Kansas City. You, Craig Council said the exact same thing about Travis Shaw before they sent him to the Myers. He did, but Lorenzo Cain's in a slightly different position to not be like I know. sent to the I'm Myers. I'm saying that when somebody says we need so and so to do better, like that's not that's not saying that they're gonna like play him every single day because they're gonna like allow him to play himself out of it. He's making a really like mundane point about saying that the Brewers are better when Lorenzo Cain is hitting. Which, yeah. Yeah, but also then following that up by not putting Lorenzo Cain in the lineup and putting Trent Grisham in over him. So we will see because one of the big questions we How had, much of that is just the fact that if Grisham can play center field and he's hitting all right, they just feel like Cain's, what was his thumb injury early in the season is probably still lingering. That it could be. Yeah, that, that could very well be because he came back from the thumb injury. I mean, I know you hate old players, especially one that signed <laughs> contracts that basically get them paid, and you'd rather see every young player get all of the at-bats, but that's not the reality of the game. I'm oh, saying so that... Here, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually make, a, make a, a legitimate point here about <laughs> Lorenzo. Are you saying my point was not legitimate? I, I think I think it was really entertaining and I actually liked it. Um, but uh, so Lorenzo Kane, if, for example, if Craig Council said we're going to give Lorenzo Kane a couple of days off and then like bring him back into the lineup here, nobody would be saying anything. It literally could just be a couple of days to clear his head around some off days and then he can come back in and do kind of whatever. But if you look at what Lorenzo Kane has done across his career, one thing that you are always pretty clear on, and it's kind of an obvious reason why, because he's a very fast player. Um, he has never had a batting average on ball and play below 300 in his entire career. His career average, uh, including this year, is 340. That's really high. And it's over a very, very long period of time. This year, his batting average on balls and play is, is 289. 
His walk rate is uh, basically about his career average. His strikeout rate is just a touch below his career average. He's hitting for as much power as he did last year. What is the big thing that is uh, is missing? Is is batting average on balls in play is almost 70 points lower than it was a year ago. And his batting average on balls in play is almost 50 points lower than his career average. So if we want to look at one thing about like going forward is sure, maybe his his thumb issue is causing him to kind of, you know, his exit velocity isn't as high, meaning he's not like making as, as great a contact or anything like that. But if you're looking at approach, if you're looking at career, I find it really, really difficult to believe that his core skills have somehow dropped to the point that like we can just say, well, he's gotten older. So we're, we should expect a 70 percent, like a 70 point drop in his batting average on balls in play. No, and I don't necessarily expect that this is going to continue. I'm just saying that Trent Grisham is an option at the moment that they seem to want to go to. Well, JP, talk about Grisham's skills as a center fielder because he wasn't a center fielder and he's never been scouted oh, he, as a guy. He's played in center field in the minors extensively. I, I, un- I understand that, but he was he's never been considered a center fielder coming up through the minors. No, he's almost always been seen as a left fielder because of a lack of premium speed and his arm's not great. Um, he's somebody that I think you can absolutely put in center field once in a while. I don't think that's his optimal defensive position, but I think that he can absolutely handle center field in short stints. But I think if they went and said that Trent Grisham is going to be our everyday center fielder, we would say that's not a great defensive lineup. No, Um, and I wouldn't expect it to happen, but if he's in there a day or two a week as a way to get his bat into the lineup, and then he's also in there three, four days a week in left field. Right. So then this is then we shouldn't even be questioning whether or not this says anything meaningful about Lorenzo Cain, is my point. I mean, we'll have to see where Lorenzo Cain comes back. I'm This year, I'm almost ready to just write off for him and say, yeah, he has this thumb issue. And uh, I was looking at his stats. His ground ball rate isn't. It's actually lower than it was last year. So the fact that his, his Babbitt or his, yeah, his Babbitt is way down is really kind of puzzling. I don't know what the the actual answer to that is, but... Probably well, a speed guy. I mean, putting the just because he's not hitting as many ground balls doesn't mean that his uh, batting no, average on balls should be saying, higher. If he's making weak contact and popping a lot of balls up or something like that, with you know a thumb issue, whatever. I think he's had a couple times where he's pulled up a little uh, slow uh, when he's tried to beat out a ball down the base. So I don't know if his legs are quite uh, as healthy as they've been. I mean, there are a lot of factors that can go into. Um, a batting average on balls of play that goes down. That yep. isn't just like he's hitting more or he's hitting fewer ground balls. Yeah, but there so are you multiple will, If you want to look at what uh, Fangraphs kind of uses, and it's not a perfect measure, so like take it with a grain of salt. But if you want to look at what they say is like their hard hit percentage, their soft hit percentage, um, his hard hit percentage is 35%, which is way above his career average of 30%. His soft percentage, so it usually goes by exit velocity, uh, is is 18.3%, which is just about his career average, and is actually just 0.2% higher than it was a year ago. Yeah, and usually and, when you get older, that soft percentage goes up. That is a good one. Good one. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> very proud of himself. That was a nice one. Um, and yeah, I think if I were concerned about him in general, it would just be that he's potentially not healthy. Um, but I don't see much if you look at the numbers to, to be concerned about him 
uh, going forward. That doesn't mean that he can't get some extra days off because you want to get Trent Grisham in because, you know what, you can look at the numbers all you want and you can look at all these things, but they got to win games now. And if they feel like Trent Grisham is a better way to to win a game on a certain Wednesday because they don't they like the pitching matchup better as a lefty, great. Or maybe try to find some parks with smaller center fields and get him in there. Yeah, I think probably what you're looking at is is Trent Grisham. If there's a guy with a big platoon split and you'd rather him face a lefty, then you're going to bring him in there is is probably my guess is what they're doing. But if you look at there's not much like I've tried to figure out like in the numbers what it is and like it it to me seems basically like maybe you want to ascribe some of it to his to his thumb but like the numbers across the board seem to be pretty consistent and so if i am thinking about what is lorenzo kane's place on the team in 2020 is starting center fielder every day yeah and then the question becomes where are you going to put trent grisham and does this include ryan braun playing more first base which we talked about a bunch last week, so let's not rehash that. But it's part of the discussion. Well, now they've got Tyler Austin to come in because they've signed him to a minor league deal who is a right-handed guy who can play some first base. They've talked about him, and David Stern says we think that he's going to be somebody who can come up in September and contribute. Uh, so that's not a great sign for me when I said that Ryan Braun's going to play more than one game at first base. Speaking of signings, I forgot about this on the rundown, but we should probably address it. Uh, the Brewers did sign to a minor league contract, Jung Ho Kang. As of yesterday, they had not. He had just been working out. He had not actually signed yet. Oh, it hadn't actually been inked? Okay, good. <laughs> so we can maybe put that off until if he does actually sign. So, so the thing about, I, I'll just I'll just say what I want to say about uh, Kang, is that I understand that there are a lot of, basically what it is, is, is there are a lot of people that are, I think, rightly or wrongly going to say that they don't want him to be signed because of his troublesome history the fact that he got accused of sexual abuse in in uh in chicago um there was never anything that followed up the the victim supposedly didn't want to cooperate uh with with the investigation didn't want to prosecute and so there was that he had a dui situation in which he supposedly like hit somebody and tried to like flee a scene in in south korea and i think it was Um, like his second or third dui and is supposedly now completely gone to abstinence is, and like went to a year of rehab and is is said that very publicly that he's not drinking anymore and doesn't want to ever drink again. Um, you know, the, like there are a lot of really complicated social things. And so um, but I do think that it's. It's something that, you know, I people are going to have to deal with, because I think that pretty much every time that anyone signed, like you can't to me. I don't think we can get into a spot in which like every single signing is just going to be judged on whether or not they're like a morally good person, because um, there are a lot of things we don't know uh, about every single person. And I know some things about players that have played for Milwaukee that have never come out publicly that like make me feel gross about things. Um, And so like if, if, if Kong, like if he, I would personally not want if if he's going to sign for a team, I would like it to not be from Milwaukee because, you know, he can sign. He can play for a lot of other teams. It doesn't have to be this one. Um, But at the same time, like for him and I'm thinking about like for domestic assault, like if if he had if he sexually assaulted somebody like that, that's that's a problem. 
Um, and which is why I'm saying like, I would appreciate it if he signed for a different team, that'd be great. I don't necessarily know all the legal things that go into it. Um, but for him, if he had DUI issues and he has completely gone to rehab and said that he doesn't want to ever drink again, I say more power to him. And I hope that's working out because that's a big life change for somebody who has had problems with alcohol in his past. It's better than, it's better than the situation with Todd Helton when he got a DUI and they went, well, that'll happen. Or Larusa. You're going to run down all the guys you didn't like that uh, got DUIs. Okay, we'll move on. Uh, DC's been a wild series up to this point. Uh, Friday night, uh, they lost 2-1 in just like... uh, Somehow they had a slog where they couldn't get any hits, and then they had a slog where all they could do was hit home runs. So the first night, 2-1, we get a great start from Adrian Hauser, but they aren't able to cash in on that. Um, I guess... How do we feel about Adrian Hauser moving forward as a starting pitcher for this team? Yeah, I mean, I'm still not 100% sure. I posted this this week, and I had heard some discussion of it around, so it's what made me think to go look for it. But uh, Adrian Hauser has massive platoon splits. He is allowing an OPS over 900 against lefties this year and under 600 against righties. So if he's going to be a successful starter long-term – He's going to have to figure out a way to get lefties out. And we know that he has a mix of stuff. We know that there's a change up there that has flashed in the past. And we've seen bits and pieces of it at the major league level, but he has not committed to it in any substantive way. So we'll have to just kind of wait and see if he can figure that out. But as long as he's that bad against lefties, it's going to be hard to be a good starter. He'll be more of a reliever who you will bring in when you you know the spot of the lineup where the best power hitting lefties aren't there so he has to develop he has to continue to do that but there's some sign that there's some tools there that maybe he could do that i I think to me i would love it if if adrian hauser could be kind of a back-end rotation guy i think he's kind of a lot of what uh the brewers already have in terms of guys that you can see a path pathway to success um but his success has been all about the fastball uh this year his his fastball has been uh has genuinely been like very very good uh his his swinging strike rate on it has been way above average uh he's only allowing on his four seamer is he's only allowing guys to hit 190 off of it this year and and he's struggled a little bit with his command like that's that's no that's no secret but it's basically every, like his curveball hasn't been good his slider hasn't been very good his changeup hasn't been very good and if you're looking at why he's has success against righties and not necessarily against lefties is because against righties he just lets the four seamer fly and guys can't really touch it uh and he's able to get some swings and misses against a slider but overall it's been he's got a lot of different types of off-speed pitches none of them have been particularly great um, and he's going to have to develop something that is a good quality secondary pitch that he can use against lefties because right now his main arsenal, like his main weapon is, is the four seamer. And that's not something that a, he doesn't, he generally tries to throw sinkers against lefties um, and his, his off speed pitches haven't been great. Uh, so he's got to be able to address those things. So for me, I think it's, he's a really great story. Uh, I really hope he finds success. I think to me, he's somebody that is one of those like, <laughs> 
you know, one of the seven pitchers that the Brewers have that maybe could be starters and maybe could be relievers and they don't really know and they're just going to kind of throw him against the wall and see what sticks. Well, as they patch the rotation together, do you think he's good enough to basically like hold down the fort until they get, you know, the rest of the group back, whether it's it's Zach Davies who's coming back, uh, what, later this week? Yes, he will be pitching against Cardinals. You know, Davies, we got Woodruff coming back in another month. Well, hopefully it's Not sooner quite, than that. Sooner than a month. I'm trying to figure where we are in the month. He went out at the end of July, and he's going to be out six weeks. Middle of July, more so. Okay. But he hasn't started rehab yet. No, he's been throwing. But he hasn't started rehab starts. Oh, yeah. Actually going down and making rehab starts? No, as far as I, I know. Say, and I, th- I think you might suddenly see that his rehab st- like stint kind of coincides to being able to be ready right around when rosters expand, and then they don't have to make decisions. Yeah, funny how that works. But yeah, back to the back to the point. Hauser, is he going to hold down the fort for this team? Like, is he is he going to be able to string together enough good starts that they can basically stay in the playoff chase? I think he's got the capability of it. I think he has just as much capability as somebody like Chase Anderson, who I understand not a great <laughs> yeah, not we a great in the Sunday's game <laughs> a Sunday, but uh, earlier we were talking about how good he'd been this year, uh, and so he's Hauser's Hauser somebody that. Uh, can absolutely put together uh, a few good outings in a row, and he's somebody that can uh, kind of blow up at times. And so it's going to be a matter of kind of who they're going to get at the right time um, and what version of it they get. And if he starts to struggle a little bit, are they going to be able to uh, to kind of like back it up? But I think the the most interesting thing to me is he's kind of been the same like his command problems have been early like as he's gone on uh kind of second and third time through the order he's been able to throw more strikes but he uh gives up way more run like way more home runs the second and third time through the order which is something you would expect for a guy who doesn't have great secondary pitches so uh he'll have to i don't know if it's like he needs to scrap something or if he needs to be able to tweak something in the off season or if he needs to work with a cutter you know like every other pitcher tries to develop a cutter um these days but yeah i think he needs something to be able to keep lefties uh off off of it um because unlike righties he can't just go four seamer all the time and get by with it yeah now speaking of gas cans that are not going to get another opportunity to start uh freddie peralta after getting just completely demolished on saturday night was sent down that the egg away <laughs> but freddie freddie had a rough game uh he didn't record any outs he gave up four runs um you know after a a, a brief stint where it looked like he could be a quality relief arm i mean things have just not gone freddie's way so does is he going to be able to reset himself in in AAA right now? I mean, this kind of feels like what they did at the end of last year with maybe Corey Knable, though Knable obviously had more of a track record where you're kind of sending him down right before rosters are going to expand because he'll be back in September for sure. Um, his issues right now are it's really it's hard because what I saw on Saturday night, I didn't see a guy that pitched all that badly. It was he couldn't get guys to swing and miss on that third strike and he was around the zone he wasn't having a huge issue with like being in the zone and he wasn't giving up except for the one shot he was giving up like i think you're underselling a little bit he had a walk he gave up a couple hits and then he gave up the home run he was giving up some some poor contact that got 
through. He put a guy on base. He did walk. He had guy, some yes. balls that fell, and he also gave up hard contact. That's just kind of like every, that. That's that's a game. In his in his last outing, that is that is baseball. He 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 had a baseball appearance. Yes, and he is kind of a guy who walks on a fine line because he doesn't have the the big put away pitch. Once he does get a guy down with two strikes, like he doesn't have that, and so he's going to have to you know. JP Sometimes find ways to yeah hold on JP has <laughs> has Freddie lost something or is this just what happens when he's not starting so instead of having like a couple innings in an appearance and and blowing uh, blowing up he's basically had small blow-ups in relief appearances I mean or is there a bigger problem I I, I feel like I'm a broken record on this so I don't uh I'm trying to think if like there's another way. Like this is who Freddie Peralta is, and I don't like every single time he has a good couple of starts or a good few outings. We're like, oh, is this who he is? And then he blows up, and we're like, well, maybe this is who he is. He's a guy who just has high volatility at all times, and it's I don't I don't know how else to explain it other than other than just a situation in which this is what happens when you're a guy who can't really throw consistently good strikes and don't have a good quality secondary pitch at all times. Like it's it's basically Josh Hader with a worse fastball. Um but like he's somebody that can be really effective and he can be really not effective and there doesn't seem to be any kind of rhyme or reason why it's that way on any start. It's a little bit like when you used to like watch Francisco Liriano pitch and you were like, man, if you got Francisco Liriano on the right day, you were like, you can absolutely light him up. And then they were like, if you got good Francisco Liriano, you were like, buckle up boys. You should like maybe be on the lookout. You better get one run. Cause if you don't get one run, Francisco Liriano is going to shut you down for like six or seven innings. Um, yeah. And Freddie Peralta seems to be kind of that guy. Except Liriano did have a fastball and a slider. So yes. he had a little just, bit more to work with. I just had the idea that like you could get any, you could get a different sort of pitcher on any given night and there wasn't a rhyme or reason to it. Yeah. I, he is, he is a tough one. And I think that it's worth remembering too, that he is considerably younger than basically anybody else on the staff too. So some patience there and give him time to kind of figure things out because there's, you know, potential for him to be above average down the road, but I don't believe he's even, 22 yet so. so i will say for freddie peralta if you want to look at uh exit velocity uh via Statcast this year he's been just about league average by the way i was just looking through the box score of saturday's game did you realize the bruce had three blown saves in the game well, that's excellent it makes sense freddie freddie peralta got a blown save josh Hader got a blown save junior guerra got both the blown save and the win yeah so like does that so is the only proven closer now on the team, Matt Albers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Matt Albers, proven closer. He's, he's, it, he's not the closer we want, but he's the closer we deserve. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so how many, how many blown saves do you think Matt Albers has on the year? I mean, that's difficult because... Are you comes, looking at it or are you just trying to get guesses? No, no, no. But he comes in in save situations in the 6th, 7th, 8th inning, but he, he was never going to stay in that whole time. So it's always for guys who aren't actually in the closer role, blown saves are kind of a – it's any time they give up a lead. He right. wasn't – he so didn't how, have a caveat. What's your answer? Yeah. What's, your, so what's answer? your answer then? How many blown saves does he have? Yeah. Two. I was going to say like um, five. 
One. Really? I knew it was low. It had to be Absolutely low. Absolutely rock solid. He's got more saves than blown saves. Proven closer. I assumed he had gotten in enough situations that, that were just difficult that, you know, you end up blowing a save with, with a run in the middle of a game in a tough situation. I mean, they've been pretty good about keeping him out of those situations until the last... I don't, I don't know. know three, it feels four, like he's gotten a decent amount of leverage now. The last three, three four Matt, weeks he has. Matt Albers, Matt Albers has given up one run. Like, one run, period, since the All-Star break. Well, that's the thing. Like, their relievers who've been the best since, like, basically the summer started are Claudio and Albers, who everybody still residually hates for past sins. So, But, like... Right, like this is the conversation we had about Matt Albers last year. Is he's going to go through good stretches like he did at the beginning of last year, and then he's going to be borderline unplayable, which he was late last year. And oh, he hey, hold on, hold on, announcement, play. announcement. We have a prop bet that is being decided right at this moment. Yes, I, I think my TV just had a had an announcement on it too because I get all the sports uh, announcements on there as well. And Hernan Perez is in pitching, which should put him over the two and a third innings for the prop bet that's Did you guys have it because i had over that's huge i'm pretty sure that i i don't remember what i had i am marking that one down i'm going to take the lead this i hope this is the one decision that decides it for the three of us i mean he's going to get in again well maybe not though because once you get to september basically position players position yeah it should never pitch so i mean don't you I, I think I still picked like Jesus Aguilar to lead the team in home runs this year. <laughs> I had Travis Shaw, so <laughs> I had Mustakis. Right there with you, buddy. I had Mustakis, so at least I was kind of in the run. Like it's, he's nowhere near it, but he's second. Well, so well, it's like the thing, right? Because you have all the prop bets, and you're like, you're like, well, it's probably this person. And you're like, well, is this the time where I try to like make up some differential and try to like take somebody that is not likely to be picked so I can try to make up something in it? Uh, which of course is like every. Every single time you make a stupid decision, you tell yourself that it was because you were trying to like game the system rather than pick just like the best hitter or whatever. Uh, yeah, that was our excuse last year when we all picked against each other like live instead well, of looking over it ahead of time actually, and making our picks. Which like we actually did because we did multiple times like whoever was going last where you were just like, well, the other two picked this. I shouldn't pick that. That's boring podcasting. Uh-oh. Did Aaron Paris get hurt? <laughs> nope he he, <laughs> the he ball is, got hurt though he is a brewer's pitcher in in washington he's blending in with the rest giving up a bomb yeah <laughs> see even position players can give up home runs in dc uh, so, so, so brian what do you think about uh ray black the ray black experience i mean it'll be back in september i'm looking forward to that uh um, okay he he was what i was expecting him to be which was you know the through gas and not much else there and, and didn't really know where any of it was going i mean it wasn't as horrible as it could have been um oh wait oh. no that's not no he was the guy i was talking about last night he needed to get some bullfrog because yeah the ball seemed to be slipping out of his hand and like <laughs> he almost killed victor robles didn't he i was gonna say like the the idea that it could always be worse is like always true like I mean, it always could be worse and it always could be better. He, yeah, the ball slipped out of his hand a couple times and almost hit Victor Robles in the head once, to which he was laughing like maniacally, like, ha ha ha, that's funny. Like, um, but yeah, this is, it's a good advertisement really, for why hitters don't actually mind when pitchers put that stuff on their hands to get a grip. Hitters actually like it because it, you know, potentially saves their lives. Yeah, like they don't want to die, so. 
And of course, like the the real answer and the reason, like the way to get rid of bullfrog is to actually like have more laces so pitchers can actually like grip the baseball a little bit. But then if they did that, their like curveballs and sliders would just be absolutely unhittable. So speaking of putting stuff on the ball, did you guys see the article? I think it was Emma Bachelary and ESPN or um and SI wrote about the guy who it's a family dynasty. They've been doing it since like the forties. Uh, the family who does MLB's mud for the baseballs. The guy like lives in New Jersey and he goes out to the swamp and he collects the mud and strains it. And Are they also it. being swept away in the corporatization of mm. Major League Baseball, like the scheduling family or whatever no, it was? So people have tried. Because they, uh, they, they got let go a couple years ago, yeah, didn't they? No, they died. Steve, they're dead. <laughs> no. Yes. No. Is that the, what it was? Yes. The okay. couple who used to do the baseball scheduling are dead. And now, yeah. So anyway. That, that why the Cubs thing is pissing you off so much? <laughs> yes. So anyway, the uh, the mud on the baseball thing is, it's nuts. This guy, like, he wouldn't even tell his wife for, like, five years after they'd gotten married where the mud was. Like, the secret spot for mud that he would get. It's I highly recommend this article. It's fantastic. Because he was... And, like, it's the family, like, business, though apparently he also works as, like, a night watchman or something. So, but read the article. Read the article. It is very good. Emma also gave a, an interview about it on um, on uh, the Cespedes the BBQ guys. Uh, I don't know what their, their show on Dazen is called, but so they've got, uh, or DAZN, I think is technically what it's called, but she gave it a good <laughs> interview on it. For, I have for no that. idea. I have no idea what you're talking about. Is that I know the Cespedes guys, but... Is that the pizza you know, hut? Like the D-A-Z-N, which is like the, the Canadian version of, it's like, it's first of all, the Canadian version of like Fubo TV, but then <laughs> they also, uh, they also are most well known for doing like uh, UFC boxing, MMA fighting. And, but then that's they also I, have a bunch yeah, of Yeah, that's why sport. I have no idea what it is. So uh, we have a Patreon question from Jason uh, Helbez. You've done Helbes this one. Helbesleben. Helbesleben? Helbesleben. Helbesleben. Hopefully we got that right. If you were more German, you would know that. I thought it was Swedish. <laughs> no? no? I was going to do definitely my, German. I was going to do my Swedish chef, but I, will, I'll, I'll, I won't do that right now. Um, <laughs> the Brewers made changes to their scouting department this week. Can you talk a little bit about how you think this will impact the team, probably more long-term, and is this a normal time to make moves like this? Yeah, first off, this is the time. Uh, scouting contracts run, I believe, August 15th through August 15th. So this is absolutely the time that this stuff gets done. Um, JP, you have more to say about this than I do. Uh, yeah, so the Brewers let uh, a good amount of scouts go. Um, I don't I don't know if the exact number is like publicly known. So I, just they let a good amount go. I, I don't want to say anything I shouldn't. Um, and so... Basically, what they are doing is following uh, kind of the Astros model in which a lot of minor league and uh, pro scouting is being transferred to kind of this central video based system in which they're able to to bring together all of the the high the high res and like slow motion video that they're able to get from uh, big league and minor league parks. But then they also have a lot of people just kind of going around taking video of a lot of minor league stadiums that don't necessarily have the equipment already installed to be able to then go back and, and do um, kind of the advanced pro scouting and all of the minor league scouting in, in one central spot. And then what, what they do after that is anybody that they really want to focus on and do a deep dive on, they'll, they'll go and send a specific scout to go sit on that player. 
but it's a way to disseminate information uh, a little bit more quickly, be in one space, limit travel, um, and then kind of target what you want to do. And to me, it shows that kind of the, the pro scouting that they were able to do over a longer period of time. It's what Zach Maniason used to do for the, the Brewers. I don't think he does it necessarily anymore. I think he but, works for Oakland now, doesn't he? Or someplace else. He, he left. And I like the Astros have basically gotten rid of their pro scouting department. And I would assume that the Brewers are doing this as well because there's so much information on, on teams and you can get all the video that you want that it doesn't really make sense to go and have scouts like go and see it in person. Um, if you're thinking about like what's the most efficient use of your resources in terms of people, time and money. Um, and it's going to increasingly be done on the, the amateur side, though. The amateur side has not been touched up by this as much uh, because you still need to go and develop those relationships, especially around like the draft and things. And right, so because the scouts what, are still the people who sign the players in those situations. So it's there has to be so, like an actual relationship. And so what ends up happening uh, at this time is kind of the same story that you see uh, across corporate America elsewhere is, is they've been able to use technology to more efficiently marshal their resources and to be able to cut cost. And they feel that they can do the exact same sort of minor league and pro scouting via a lot of uh, video and not have to spend the money and, and the personnel resources to go send them out to, to different places. Um, And I think on the, the, the minor league side for the Brewers, what you've started to see, and this is something they talked a lot about when Ray Montgomery kind of went up to kind of the, the yeah, I was telling Ryan, like the basically the CEO of the scouting side, like he oversees everything from pro to amateur to international. He just oversees ev- absolutely everything. And Todd Johnson, it was brought in to, to kind of oversee the draft in particular for the amateur side. But Every single time that Stearns talked about it and every single time that it was written about, they wanted to bring objective metrics to uh, the uh, the existing scouting, um, the scouting philosophy, which is track man, which is exit velocity, which is a lot of the high res stuff. And you and this is something for the, the minor league extra podcast. Uh, this is something that I talked about quite a bit is that it was pretty clear that the Brewers, almost every single arm aside. Well, even even Antoine Kelly a little bit, but. Uh, pretty much every single arm that they went and got was a track man arm was, was a man that performed really really well for spin rates for for uh, certain kind of um, optimized arm paths that a lot of the uh, objective metrics like and the brewers are absolutely going in on that and and the astros are going in on those sorts of things as well yeah and, and going on on the astros point though too there was a good story in the um the Ben Lindbergh, Travis Sawchick, the MVP machine, where they talked about, and I'm not sure exactly which spring this was now, but everybody sort of noticed all of a sudden that the Astros were sending out to all of the the college uh, players and all the big high school players that they had these basically intern types, you know, guys who looked like they were in college or recently out of it with high-speed cameras taking video of the the prospects. And then that year in their draft room there was a story about how the the regular scouts would come in for the meeting and every day the draft board would look vastly different when they would come back than what it looked like when they left and it was clear that like it, discussions were going on above their heads 
that were about data that was coming in, stuff that the scouts weren't seeing. And then the draft board was completely, completely altered. And then that year, they got rid of a bunch of scouts on the amateur side. And the guys were all kind of like, yeah, we kind of saw it coming when it looked like our input to the draft was basically being marginalized away. And this is a thing that's coming. I mean, it's we'll see. It's always harder on the amateur side because the players are more diffuse. They're covering much larger areas than just, you know, whatever, 70 or 80 or 100 organized pro teams. So you have to see a lot more guys. And also, like we were talking about, you have to have the relationship with the players because you have to be able to sign them. So somebody actually does have to, like, contact them and talk to them and build up a relationship so that you can feel comfortable about, you know, drafting them because you have to sign them. But well, it's the changing. Important- the world is changing very quickly on this. Well, and so I would say that the important thing to think about, too, when it comes to um, when it comes to these sorts of drafts, especially the draft things, uh, it it is much harder to do on on the, the kind of the international side in particular. But it you the biggest thing that you'll see is I was just I was looking through. And teams that are going this route in terms of their scouting are almost completely going college all the time. Like if you look at what the Astros did in their first, let me, let me take a look here in uh, their first 17 rounds, they took one high schooler. And if you take a look at, Oh God, this is actually, so in their first 35 rounds, they took two and it's basically who do you have good numbers on? Who do you have good scout? Like, who do you have good information on in terms of the tools that you have? And who do you feel best about um, kind of projecting going forward? And for a lot of the teams like the Astros right now, it's teams that you've got TrackMan data on. But the biggest thing that you'll start to see change is that uh, Perfect Game, which is one of the biggest showcase leagues for for prep talent, they absolutely have these things going on too. They've got TrackMan data, they've got exit velocity, they've got better technology than the vast majority of minor league stadiums. And the one place that it's not happening is internationally. And so you still might see, I don't know, high-speed cameras and all of those things. But you're talking about 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, when you're having to do these sorts of things. And so when, if you ever listen to like Up and In in the past with, with Kevin Goldstein and Jason Parks. And Jason Parks was saying that like scouting, especially for really young high, like high school players and, and teenagers, it's much more art than it is science. And so you will, I think you will see teams like the Astros are basically saying on the draft, we're going to go absolutely for people that we've got a lot of data on that went to college that we feel comfortable with projecting going forward based on these quote unquote objective metrics. And then they will invest pretty heavily on the international side. When you also pointed out to me, JP, last night when we were talking about this, that the Astros have had more success on one side of the ball than on the other doing this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's been pitching. They've been much better at being able to draft and develop pitching than they have for hitting. And it's been pretty much across the board that if you look at their top prospect list, it's almost been all pitching. If you look at everybody who kind of pops up on the radar for the for the Astros, if you're talking about Jose Arcudi, you're talking about Corbin Bar- uh, Martin, you're talking about, you know, just like that. It seems that they've got like Josh James, like just like pop up out of nowhere. Uh, the Astros are quite good at it. Uh, you do not see those sorts of bats uh, come up very often. And, and the hitters will... that they've had have mostly been like top five picks, like Kyle Tucker, um, Correa, Kyle Tur- Bregman. And Kyle Tucker, 
Kyle Tucker's got big, uh, big question marks around him. Guys like Bregman and Correa were kind of coming in prior to a lot of these changes happening. Jordan Alvarez, who I know a lot of people were looking at, he was a he was a Cuba signing that they got in. Uh, the Josh Fields trade with with the Dodgers, uh, but he was still a two million dollar signing. It's not like he was a kind of a nobody coming out of nowhere. So it's been a big it's a big thing to to look at, and I think that's why it was really interesting to me to see that the Brewers really invested. Uh, why I think for the longest time we had been saying the Brewers are going to go bat early, They're going to go bat early. Better investment for scouting, better investment for impact talent, and what we've been seeing is the Brewers suddenly went pitching. And that was different. And it was a pitching guy who really profiled well in terms of track man, in terms of a lot of the uh, kind of analysis and the and the stuff that the Brewers clearly want to start bringing into the scouting system. So I do think things are going to be changing quite a lot. I do wonder if that also means that a lot more high schoolers start going to college uh, because the teams are going to feel a little bit better about those sorts of things. My guess is it's going to allow perfect game to start uh, kind of spending more money and investing more in a lot of the data that teams want to get their guys drafted. Well, and I think they already have been. I've heard just stories about the amount of stuff that they do at those games to collect data and that teams all are privy to now because they make deals with perfect game to get that data. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to start wrapping this one up. Uh, the Brewers just wrapped up a rough one. Uh, 16 to 8 in Washington. Oh, they scored more runs? Arcia hit another home run, hit a two run shot to make it eight. Mm. Uh, Trent Grisham struck out. Uh, he was 0 for 5 on the day. Ooh. So, how are you feeling about Grisham now? Oh, well, we got to write him off now. Definitely. He's done. Yep, that's the way that goes. So, uh, he didn't strike out though, so he had a grand total of zero points for me in fantasy this week. <laughs> So that's, just bringing that back. That's really all that matters is how did they do for you in fantasy this week. So uh, the Brewers have the Cardinals coming up for three, and then they have the Diamondbacks next weekend. So it'll be uh, pretty interesting. And interesting the Diamondbacks week. are kind of the only team in this run that they're on right now that isn't a great team. Like they have a they play a lot of good teams. Well, it's two weeks in a row where they play Monday through Wednesday against the Cardinals. Oh, yeah, and they have them at Miller Park the following week. Yeah. So this is going to be big the next couple of weeks uh, if they want to basically take some control of the division because apparently nobody wants to. Yeah, I mean, the thing right now is to just kind of keep your head above water until you get to September, the rosters expand, and Craig Council can do his Craig Council thing. So <laughs> We'll see. That's a lot what, of faith in everything. What, and Zach Davies what, is back tomorrow as well, or today, I should say. What is the Craig Council thing? The September Craig Council thing where he just like runs through a billion pitchers and it all seems to work all the time. The last two years, he they were outstanding both Septembers. Oh. I like how you think that's just Craig Council and not like pitchers pitching well. Um, No, I mean, it's it's the whole thing. It's what they do. But so really what Craig Council should have been doing was doing whatever he needed to do with that. Like, why isn't he doing that in August? Why can't he get pitchers to pitch better in August, Ryan? Because he doesn't have 14 or 15 they get their free, No, no, that's a lie. They get their frequent flyer miles. They got guys going back and forth. You just can't have them all sitting on the bench with you the entire time. And you can't time. use them all in a single game it's the about, way he does in September. It's about building a community. That's what it is. It's about he, building that communal spirit. And if you have guys traveling all the time, you can't do that in the bullpen, Steve. Exactly. So, hey, if you want to be a part of a community, join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. Uh, also, we have the new Green Bay Packers podcast reporting as eligible. They will also have an extra podcast. You will get all of that for the same 
uh, ball and glove level. Uh, I say it's been it's been an excellent podcast too. First couple is. episodes. You know, I don't know if people realize this, but uh, we got some pretty good hosts on that podcast. Professionals. I, I was going to say better than us. So they're definitely worth listening to. There. Um, better than and I, not better than Steve. <laughs> No, well, hey, I just sat back for like 10 minutes and didn't say anything as you guys went on about scouting. So obviously, I don't need to be here at all times. Uh, just remember that they're also going to do a fantasy football league. Uh, you're going to probably have to be at the $10 level to join that. If you join now, you'll guarantee your spot. I know Paul's uh, getting ready to put that together. So uh, definitely check out our Patreon. Remember, you can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Spot... Uh, Apple Spot... Spodcast? Spodcast. <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts. And you know what? Wherever else you listen to podcasts, and if there's something that's not on our list, let me know, and I'll try to get it there as well. Uh, remember, leave reviews. We had a good one last week. They said JP was too rough on Ryan. I was going to read it live, and I wanted to say no. My job is to be too tough on Ryan, so do not criticize JP for that because you're stepping on my toes there. So, uh, anyways, go there, put down some reviews. We always enjoy reading them. I do at least. Yeah, I never see them because you're the one that handles that. Stuff yeah, I handle all that stuff. So, uh, go do that. Review our podcast for us. We'd appreciate it. So, thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. We're going to talk about the Here review. We go. No, this is a long, long review from L- Jay, Geis- ah. Jay Geisler95. So you 95. have a, a millennial on your side here. Uh, love the format of the podcast. It feels like you're having a conversation with smart, level-headed fans at a tailgate. So it's true to its name. Ryan, JP, and Steve all bring great things to the table, and the occasional guests hold their own quite well. In addition... JP's mini pods are great little midweek nuggets of cool Brewers baseball info that I like to listen to on my way to class or while cooking. Oh, he's definitely a millennial. I was gonna say, but that's like the whole point of him. That's like, definitely JP's thing. Oh, listen to this while you're cooking. Yeah, look. <laughs> uh, I got to be honest, JP. The only thing that gets on my nerves about the pod is that, in my opinion, you can often be a little over the top condescending towards Ryan. The listeners look. get it. Ryan's a prospect hugger, and his opinions can change quickly. He's a fan, just like all of us. He is Twitter. Ryan battles Twitter, but Ryan, he is Twitter. This is Ryan not what his absolutely is says. Twitter. Uh, you are making that part up. You are making maybe that it's up. because you are a liar. Maybe it's because liar. listeners can't actually see you guys talking, but the arguments frequently come across as you beating him over the big <laughs> head with snark and condescension. <laughs> I love that up, you guys that does not say that. <laughs> Did he say that he has a big head? That's my favorite. Anything about the big head? You are you sit on a throne of lies. (laughs) I love that you guys challenge each other's arguments, but that in particular gets tiresome. Just a quick thought from someone who's listened from the start of your podcast and loves what you guys do. 
Thank you for bringing Smart Brew's audio content to people like me who live in the MLB blackout hell that is Iowa. This podcast has made me a better, smarter fan. Ooh, condolences for living in Iowa. No, I think this needs to go into the podcast. I was going to say, huge, huge shout out. Yeah, because like my biggest thing is that I feel like my condescension is like my personality. So... I feel like I'm Steve, far Steve, more openly Steve, hostile to Ryan. You just, Steve, you just point personality things out far, and make them look bad. No, Steve's, Steve's personality is far more condescending. <laughs> no, I would say the, uh, the yeah, the last couple, last couple of podcasts, though, like Ryan has made a couple like of a couple of arguments that really pissed me off. So I wouldn't be surprised that like it does come across that way. Oh, yeah. last week you you flew off on me about something. I can't remember exactly what it was. I don't know, but it pissed me off, whatever it was. Well, because I called out your hypocrisy and you got all defensive about it. You created a straw man to be able to say <laughs> that I said something I didn't say. Which that never happens. <laughs>